Layman, good morning. Please be seated, y'all. I, I just want to say, I am so excited. It's surreal to be here in this pulpit. I've been here these past seven years, and it's been a dream of mine since the beginning to come up here and preach. So this is really cool for me, guys. Thank you guys for letting me come in to, to preach here. Thank you, Dr. Getch. And uh, I, I'm really excited for what God's doing in our lives. A little bit about me and my wife and what we're doing. Uh, really, it started when I was in seventh grade going to a, just a Christian camp. And it was my favorite preacher in the world, Dr. Tom Farrell, who just passed away over this year. He preached. And God just really grabbed hold of my heart in such a way and said, Tim, I have a will for you. I have a call for you. I have a, a whole plan for you, Tim. Please let me use you. And uh, he grabbed hold of my heart and I gave it to him. But like so many of us have, after a teen camp decision, I let go of it. And it was throughout all my teen years that I turned my back on God and really tried my own, to do my own ambitions, my own will, my own dreams, and follow after my own heart. And I'll tell you this, quite firmly, I was utterly and firmly depressed and angry and full of hate and despair because I was running from God and doing my own thing. I remember in 11th grade, as I went to a missions conference, much like what we have here, and I sat right over there on the front row to the side and listened as a missionary to Mexico, gave a simple testimony of what God had been doing through his ministry. It wasn't anything special, wasn't anything I even remember that he said. But I remember looking up at him as I sat down there up on the stage in the pulpit and how in my eyes he had so little. Missionaries rarely have much, right? But he had so little in my eyes and yet he was so full of joy, so full of God's peace it was evident. And God literally touched my heart and said, Tim, that's what I have for you. That's what I want of you, Tim. Just give me your heart. And that's you up there on the stage. And here I am today, <laughs> right where that man was. And that was some eight years ago. And I've never lost that peace or that joy since the day I gave my heart to my God. And now four months into deputation, I'm having the time of my life. I've never been more happy, never been having more fun serving my God, and I'm excited for what God has. I met my wife in uh, February of 2020. We started dating. Hey, Brother Furso brought us together. So any of y'all out there single, <laughs> give him a talk. <laughs> He's pretty good at that. So he brought us together, and uh, we fell in love real quick. And in August, I asked her dad the question uh, if he'd give his blessing. I said it was so important to me to have her parents' blessing as well as mine, and mine had already given it. And at that time, uh, he talked to me for about three hours. <laughs> it was a good talk, though. We got to know each other a lot, and uh, at the end, he gave his blessing. And I showed him the ring at, that uh, I was going to propose to her with. And then he asked me this, when are you going to ask her? And I said, I don't know, Brother Prince, probably a few weeks or so. And he said, why not tomorrow? <laughs> See, they were in town for just another day or two, and my parents were actually in Camarillo visiting my older brother Jacob and his church just an hour and a half away. And so it worked out perfectly to have them all there for the proposal. And we went to Point Doom Beach in Malibu, and I got down on my knee and proposed to her, and it was just amazing. And then in December, we were finally married. In June, or rather in May, she graduated from here at West Coast Baptist College. In June, we went to BIMI Candidate School. In July was our very first meeting. And now today is our 21st meeting here at Lancaster Baptist Church. We have 12 supporting churches now. God has been blessing us amazingly. And I just really want to emphasize that when you're doing what God calls you to do, you're going to love every bit of it. I don't regret a single thing I've given to my God, and I'm so excited to be here. If you have your Bibles, please open up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 is where we'll start in just a moment here. 
You know, today we really live in a world that is slowly becoming void of love. The value of life has lessened as abortions have become a way of life. Violence scourges the world today. In Ethiopia, Africa, there's the Tigray War. There's much violence, much death, much starvation and famine, and terrible things happening there. You see that all across the world, even here in America, when you watch the news, you see violence and anger and hate and conflict. Compassion has become shown as weakness among our generation. It's time we as Christians, we who serve our God, shine bright. For today we live in a world that is utterly dark. And we have a God that is the embodiment of light because of his love. And he calls us as his followers to bring that light, that love to the world. Romans 8, 31 through 39 says, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I so humbly thank you for allowing me to be up here in this pulpit today. Uh, I am so astonished by how you have worked in my life. It's nothing short of a miracle. I pray today that it is not me who speaks but that is the Holy Spirit who will speak his word, the word of God, through me. And I pray that hearts will be ready and challenged by your word, and I pray that the word of God will not return void. And I pray specifically that I will be challenged by your word as well, God. Please use us mightily, and please bless this missions conference. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The Bible says clearly, God is love. It says in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If ye have love... One toward another. So here it is. Let's as Christians stop trying to blend in, but decide to stand out. Not in conflict, not in anger, not in hate, but in love. Somebody once said, and we, you've heard it here before, I'm sure, nobody cares how much you know till they know how much you care. Isn't that evident as you go out and share the gospel, as you really show this is what God's gospel is. This is the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins and they shove you off and push you away. But as they see and a relationship builds and they see you and that it's real and that the love of God shines through you, their heart opens up to it and the Holy Spirit works in them and opens up to it. Why? Because of God's love and is working in you. Let's look at three thoughts on God's love from Romans chapter 8. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You skip down a few verses and it says, as it is written. This is an amazing callback to Psalms chapter 44 verse 22. 
where the sons of Korah wrote this whole chapter, literally calling out to God, saying, God, we are trying so hard to live for you. We are trying so hard to do your will. And yet, God, we are as sheep on the way to our slaughter. We are literally being brought to our deaths. We are dying all the day long. God, are you even there? God, do you hear us? But in this passage, it immediately contradicts and says, nay, no, for in all these things, for in all that God has done for us, for in all that Jesus Christ is to us, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then it goes on to talk about God's inseparable, amazing, infinite love. Encouragement of God's love is an amazing thing. For if he is for us and he goes with us, literally nothing and no one can stand against you. John 16, 33, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Oh man, where we're going, me and my wife going in Ethiopia, with the war and all the conflict going on, oh, we're going to face hard times. We're going to face tribulations. We're going to face very real dangers. But I love that I can take encouragement from my God, where he says, be of good cheer. For I've overcome the world, including Ethiopia, including every country represented here in this missions conference, and everyone not. He says, I go with you, and I protect you, and you can have good encouragement, good cheer in that. First Chronicles 29, 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. And now we're exalted as head above all. We serve a God who doesn't just say, I go with you, I'm there with you. He says, oh, I've conquered everything. Heaven is mine. Earth is mine. There is nothing greater than me in all of it. And I go with you. Exodus 14, 14, the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. Oh, I love that. I love that I can claim that verse and say, though what I face is hard and troublesome and I can be concerned about it, I can say to myself, I can hold my peace in my God. Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. Wow. This next passage, I love this passage. If any one of you were to come up to me and say, Brother Bundy, how do you know God's will in your life? How do you find that out? I want to know God's will in my life. I want to know how he would lead me. How do you find out what God would have for me? I would immediately direct them to literally the biblical equation to God's will, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. All of you probably have it memorized. It says, step one of the equation, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. He's saying here, Brother Bundy, you're going to go to Ethiopia and you're going to face some things that you, you're going to just need to trust me in. I'm going to do some things there that you're not going to understand. You just got to trust in me with all your heart. And then it says step two, just as big a part of step one, and lean not unto thine own understanding. He's saying, oh, those things you're going to face, you're not going to understand why I'm putting you through it. You're not going to understand the purpose of it, the fruit that will come of it, but trust in me. Don't lean on yourself. And it says step three, in all thy ways acknowledge him. Give God the glory. Give God the honor. Give God the praise. I'm here before you, and I'm going to Ethiopia, not of my own power. No way, Jose. It is all because of God. It is all because of his working in my life, all because of his Holy Spirit who lives within me. And I give him all the acknowledgement for every bit of that. And then it says, when you do those three steps, trust in him. Don't lean on yourself. Give me the glory, the praise, and the recognition. Then I will direct all thy 
encouragement of God's love. Oh, it's amazing. He goes with us. He guides us. He's all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, sovereign over our lives, and he has a will for us. And he says, come along with me, and we'll do amazing things for my honor and glory. I think of some examples in Scripture. Of I think of Moses. A man of God, who he tried to do his own way. He tried to do God's work in his own way, right? And he ended up killing a man, right? And he had to flee for decades. He fled from the land of Egypt. And he stood there one day watching his sheep. And God himself came down in a burning bush before him and spoke to him and said, Moses, listen to me. I am God. I am your Jehovah. And I have a plan for you, Moses. I have a will for you. I want you to go back to that land of Egypt you fled from. I want you to go to the most powerful person in that land, that Pharaoh. And I want you to tell that king to let the millions of Hebrews, the Jews, your people, those slaves that he so much relies on, to go. Oh, I can picture Moses right there. So he looked at God in that burning bush, and he said to God, God, certainly you've, you've got the wrong guy. I, I, I've, I've got a speech problem. I, I can't talk well. You, you've got to use someone else. I, I'm the wrong guy. And what does God say to Moses? Moses, who hath made man's mouth? Was it not I? Now Go! I think back of when I sat on that front row there during that missions conference and I knew God was calling me to be a missionary and he said, I have plans for you, Tim. I could have easily said to him, God, I don't know how to preach. God, I don't, I don't know your word in my heart. God, I, I don't know how to win souls. God, I don't know how to start a church. I don't know how to be a missionary. I don't know how to do this or that and this and that. I don't know how to disciple people. But I praise the Lord. I remember specifically saying to God, God, I don't know how to preach. Will you help me with that? God, I don't know your word. Will you help me to study it, God? God, I don't know how to start a church. Will you teach me? God, I don't know how to disciple people. Will you help me? And praise the Lord. Where God calls, he provides. Where God calls, he leads. Where God calls, he goes alongside with you every step of the way. And praise the Lord for his glory. He's taught me these things. And he's helped me in these ways. And now I get to go and fulfill his will. Just as he called Moses to go, I get to go not in my power but in God's, and the encouragement I have in that. I think of Joseph. When you think of someone who went through more trials and tribulations in the Bible, it's hard to find. Joseph, at a young age, came up to his brothers, and they, they betrayed him and threw him into a pit. Then they sold him into slavery. He was brought to a land of Egypt where he did not know the language thereof and was sold into Potiphar's house. A man who could have easily said, God, why is this happening? He could have leaned on his own understanding and said, God, I just don't understand why this is happening. What is going on? And he could have turned his back on God, and many would say he'd be right to do so. But no. What did he do? He had such a testimony that this godless heathen, Potiphar, looked at him and said, that's a man of God right there that God blesses. And one day, of course... Potiphar's wife tempts him, and over and over again, tempts him, and one day says to Joseph, lie with me, and he says, how can I do this great sin against my God? And she grabs his coat as he flees and rips a part off and shows it to her husband and says, you brought in this Hebrew, and he mocks us, and he was thrown in jail. Think about that for a second. A man who has only utterly stood up for his God, put his faith truly and only in his God, and he did what was right and was still punished for it. He was in this jail for years, guys. 
And of course, one day, he, uh, the, the, the jailers looked at him and said, this is a man of God. And they put him over all the other people in the jail, right? What a testimony. And then he interpreted dreams of the baker and the butler. And one day was brought before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked him, can you interpret my dream? And he said, my God will. Still giving God the glory. Still having faith and trust in his God. And then he interpreted the dreams and said, Pharaoh, there will be seven years. There will be seven years of plenty of harvest of water and great blessing. And then seven years of famine. And of course, Pharaoh looked at him and said, who better to lead this whole thing than you, Joseph? And he became second in command of the most powerful nation of all the world. God used him mightily to save not only the people of Egypt, but his own family who came for food and blessed them and brought them into his land. Amazing how you, no matter what your circumstances may be, can take great encouragement in your God. I give an illustration here and I'll move on to my next point. I think of my favorite hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, and the hymn writer of it, Horatio Spafford. This hymn was written after some pretty traumatic experiences in his life. The first was the death of his son at the age of two. And then there was the great Chicago fire of 1871 where this successful lawyer has invested heavily into all this real estate in Chicago and lost much of it, was broke. His business, uh, business's interests were further hit by the economic downturn of 1873, at which time he planned to travel to Europe with his family on the SS Bildehof. In a late change of events, he sent his family ahead, his wife and four daughters ahead, while he stayed behind, delayed on business concerning zoning problems. While crossing the Atlantic, his family's ship hit the Loch Urn, another ship, and all four of his daughters sank and died. His wife survived, made it over to Europe, and gave him the famous telegram, saved alone. Shortly afterward, as Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife, he was inspired to write these words as his ship passed near where his daughters had died. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. And verse after verse, he wrote of God's goodness, despite what he faced in life, despite his great losses. And he finished and said, and Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. A song in the night, O my soul. You say, Horatio Spafford, he took great encouragement in his God, and he said, it doesn't matter that I've had all these losses in this life. I have an eternal sight, an eternal mindset, for my God has been nothing but good to me, and I can be encouraged in him and his infinite love in me. First, the encouragement of God's love. Secondly, the gift of God's love. And, and these points are much shorter. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Go down a couple bit. It says, it is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. We don't just have a God that says, you can take encouragement in me. You can take encouragement in my love. We have a God that proved it. 
Romans 5 8, but God commended, proved, showed his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, while we yet nailed him to the cross, he died for us willingly, lovingly, because of his amazing, infinite love for us. And he gives this gift to us of his son, Jesus Christ, who died on this cross for our sins and rose again. And he says, if you simply put your trust in me and put your faith in me, you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. This is my gift to you whom I love. And then he says this, not only is my gift just for you, it's for everyone. He gives us the great commission. He says, and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We see in Acts 1.8 how God calls us to go to Jerusalem, which would be here for those of you who live here. It would be Lancaster. And in Jerusalem and Judea, which would be maybe be Palmdale. And uh, J- Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, which would maybe be Anna Verde. And he's saying, I want you to go to these places and share the gospel, but I also want you to go to the uttermost. Me and my wife have been called to the uttermost. We've been called to go to Ethiopia and bring the gospel there. But just as important as it is for us to go there, it is important for you to go where God has called you. Whether it is here in Lancaster, your Jerusalem, or whether you live elsewhere in your Jerusalem there, or whether he also calls you to the uttermost as he has us. And you say, now, Tim, I'm not called to the uttermost. I don't feel like I'm going to be a missionary. I don't think God's doing that in my life. So I will go to my Jerusalem. But God also calls us in our Jerusalems to support those in the uttermost. I love, I love Lancaster Baptist Church's faith promise missions. A lot of people do that. I love this right here. I do this. I'm excited to do this this week. Because this is my home church, my sitting church. I'm excited to take a step of faith in my God and to give more to missions than I've ever been able to do in my life. I am so excited to give towards not just my uttermost, but the rest of the uttermost. Not just towards my Jerusalem, but the rest of them across all the world. I'm excited to take part in that. And you have that opportunity as well for God to use you greatly. Or if you give towards missions, every fruit that a missionary gains, every soul saved, you took part in. And that's the incredible part of the gift of God's love. It is for you, and it's for the world as well. We are called to share that. Lastly, we see the encouragement of God's love. We see the gift of God's love. Lastly, the extent of God's love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? And then you skip down a few verses. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He makes it absolutely crystal clear that the extent of his love is to any and all. It doesn't matter if the man over here is homeless. It doesn't matter if this person over here has done terrible things all his life. It doesn't matter if someone's handicapped or different or really weird. It doesn't really matter. God loves them, and his love is extended to them just as it is to me and you. The story is told about a soldier who was returning home from the Vietnam War. And as he reached San Francisco, he's called his parents and said, Mom and Dad, I am returning home from the war, and I can't wait to come and see you. 
And his parents replied and said, Oh, son, we have missed you. We can't wait to see you either. Please come home quickly, son. And he says to his parents, Mom and Dad, Oh, that's great. I've got a favor to ask of you, Mom and Dad. I have a friend who I fought alongside with in Vietnam. And you see, I want him to come home with me, and I want us to take care of him and to to just be a blessing to him. He said, Oh, son, please bring him by. We would love to meet him. He said, Oh, Mom and Dad, you don't understand what I'm asking. My friend, he stepped on a landmine in the war and he lost his right leg and his right arm. And I want him to come live with us. And I want us to actually take care of him. And they replied to their son saying, Son, you don't know what you're asking for. Such a thing as this would put a great hindrance on your life. It would really ruin your potential and what you could do in your life. Just tell him to go his own way and we're sure he'll be all right. And the son said, okay. And he hung up the phone. A few days later, His parents received a call from the San Francisco police and said, a man has jumped from a 10-story building and uh, we'd like you to come identify his body. We think he's your son. And they came and saw where this young man laid and looked at him and and said, yes, that's our son. And to their astonishment, their son was missing the right arm and right leg. You see, we have the amazing, the amazing truth that our God up above doesn't look at us with our missing right arm, with our missing right leg, with our handicaps, with our talentlessness, with whatever thing that hinders us in this life. God doesn't look at us and say, I don't love you or I can't use you. No, he looks at the ordinary people, the strange people, the weird people and said, now that's someone I can use. That's someone who's humble, who will not take the credit, who I will invest in, who I will use mightily because he'll give me the glory for it because he'll let me use him mightily and do amazing things. We have a God that looked at me and said to Tim, you may have little, Tim. You may not have a lot of talents. You may not know how to preach. You may not know how to start a church, how to be a missionary, how to disciple a new believer. But Tim, oh, I can use you greatly. Tim, I can use you mightily. Why? Because you're simply willing to go. And his love is extended to me and to you into all the world, and it's infinite. It says that nothing can separate us from his love. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, his love is infinitely boundless towards you and me, and he wants to use all of us. We've seen the encouragement of God's love, the gift of God's love, his son, the extent of God's love, it's to all. Let's take these thoughts as some of us are going to the mission field. As some of us here, most of you are in training to do some amazing thing in ministry for your God. How some of us are staff here trying to train laborers. Let's take these thoughts and realize that God wants to encourage us in his infinite power. He wants us to share his gift of his son with all the world and the extent of God's love, his son. The gospel is to all people and for all people to be used of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the amazing opportunity to be here in chapel and to share your word. I pray that it was not me who spoke today, but that was the Holy Spirit. I pray that hearts have been challenged as I know mine is. Please use us mightily for your word, for your will, God. And we'll give you the glory, the honor, and praise for every bit of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Dr. Gatch. Thank you, Brother Bundy. Let's stand together for a moment, and as we think about these things, realize that God wants to use you. His love is not limited in any way or fashion, and he can use you.
that you may be the last person on earth that you think God could use. And you're probably the first person he's looking for. Because of that spirit, that humbleness, that willingness to be used by God. And so make yourself available to the Lord. Say, God, here am I. Use me. Just think of what God has already done in Brother Bundy's life just because he's willing to be used. And that's you. That's me. Well, we're going to hear another message. Let's be seated. I want our special music to come. So Josiah and Autumn, you come and sing for us. And then we're going to hear from Brother Schultz. And I'm excited about uh, hearing this missionary going to Tanzania and a needy country as well. And so let's hear this special, and then Brother Schultz will come and preach our second message. It's hard to find For every promise that is kept There are many left behind Though it seems that nobody cares It still matters what you do Cause there's a difference you can make But the choice is up to you Yes, I'll be the one. Yes, I'll be the one. Yes, I'll be 
He said, take about 300 minutes, so that's five hours. I'll have to hurry. Well, good morning. The, the worst part about speaking second is that you're not sure what the first guy's going to say, and he might just preach your message. Thank you for not preaching my message. But you did preach every verse in the New Testament, so we're going to go to the Old Testament. Is that all right? I want to preach to you a message from the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. Jonah is an amazing book. When I think of missions, my mind usually, eventually, goes to the book of Jonah. You know, we missionaries, we're just normal people. We really are. Well, some of us. <laughs> uh, we're just normal people. Whom, who God called and enabled to do His will. And Jonah is a great example of God accomplishing His will through another human being in spite of Himself, in spite of Jonah's will. By the way, God's will will be done with or without your permission. <laughs> and Jonah is a great example of someone not to be. A, a great example of a bad example, if that makes sense. And the book of Jonah is one of my favorite books and uh, for several reasons. He's a missionary, uh, even though he's reluctant to be one. Uh, he, everywhere he goes, people get saved, even though he doesn't want that to happen. <laughs> And his mission is 100% successful. And that makes him mad. Isn't that an amazing story? The fact that this story is in the Bible is, is amazing to me. Jonah is the only prophet who's disobedient and has a book written in the, in the, in the Bible. And, and God has put that here for, our, for a good reason, a good lesson for us. And when we think of the book of Jonah... Uh, we usually think of the great fish, Jonah and the whale. Uh, we usually think of a great city uh, or, or a great uh, repentance. But, but, and, and really, the theme of Jonah is about repentance. God honors repentance. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background in the time that I have. Uh, jo the book of Jonah is written about 750 years before Christ comes. And Israel now is a divided kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel is where Jonah is located. And ever since they divided, they have been against God. They've turned their backs on Jehovah and they've created their own gods, golden calves. They've created their own temples, their own, uh, their own priests who are completely unqualified to be priests. And the, the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, are living in bad sin. During the days of Jonah, it's a prosperous time. Uh, they've had some military victories. Their country is seeing prosperity. And the truth is, they don't really need God. Does that sound familiar? There's a lot of correlations in America with the, with the book of Jonah. They don't need God. They've got their own religion, and they don't want to hear God's prophets. And the message, the one message that Israel needs at this time is repentance. 
And God is going to call Jonah to go to a terrible people, the Assyrians. They were most wicked people. They were the terrorists of their day. And I'm sure you have heard the vicious things that the Assyrian armies did when they conquered nations and cities and villages. They were cruel and uh, very bad people. And I'm sure Jonah didn't want anything to do with those people. But God is going to send them a message of hope. A message of judgment. If you don't repent, judgment is coming. But there's hope. If you repent, I will receive you. That's a great message. Even though they were a vile people, God is going to show their love, his love to them. That's what we missionaries are doing. We're going to pagan places. We're doing that here in California. <laughs> We're going to places to, to vile people with a message of hope. If you repent, God will receive you. Israel desperately needs this message. Well, if I may, let's look at Jonah chapter 1 and uh, we'll begin seeing the, the, the title of my message is Repentance in the Storm. God oftentimes, He sends storms quote-unquote, storms to cause people to repent and return to God. And repentance is needed because man has rebelled against God's Word. Right? If God said it, we must do it. And if we don't do it, we must repent or judgment is coming. And Jonah is going to need repentance. Look at verse number 1. Uh, the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up, uh, come up before me. Now, in verse number one, God is speaking to Jonah. And Jonah confirms this is God's message. Uh, Jonah introduces himself as the prophet. This is who I am. This is my lineage. Uh, Jonah has the right qualifications to be a prophet. And he says, I actually heard the message from God's mouth. This is uh, God's message to the people. Uh, it's not my own message is what he's saying. And, and he tells us that, uh, uh, that who he is. All the prophets in the Old Testament introduce themselves and give their qualifications uh, it's necessary to be qualified uh, to be the, the one who speaks on behalf of God. Amen? Now, in verse 2, we saw that God told Jonah what to do. Jonah is familiar with God's voice. He's heard Him speak before. He knows uh, what... He understands the message. It's a simple message. It, it's not a, he's not mistaking about about God's intentions. It's the command is clear and concise. Get up from where you are, go to where they are, and give them the message of God. But Jonah does what I've done a few times. Verse number 3. But Jonah rose up to flee and to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down in, unto it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Did you notice that twice it says Jonah's trying to escape from the presence of the Lord? Is that possible? 
You, Jonah, you, you've got, you've got a, a mistake in your doctrine. Jonah, you, you need to go back to Psalm 139. Where shall I flee from the presence of the Lord, David says. Uh, you sh- Jonah, you, you, Jonah, under- Jonah believes that if he leaves the boundaries of Israel, uh, then, that, then Jehovah God is no longer the God uh, outside of those boundaries. No, Jonah, you, you've got it all wrong. You can't go anywhere in this world where God is not. Amen? And Jonah's trying to get away, run away from God's presence, from God's people, from God's command. He refuses. Now Jonah needs to repent. Our adherence to God's Word is the basis for repentance needed. Now Jonah goes to Tarshish. That's towards Spain. That's the opposite direction of where Nineveh is. He's going exactly the wrong way. And he's doing it on purpose. Maybe, why? I always ask myself, when I read the stories in the Old Testament especially, I always play the movie in my head. Do you do that? <laughs> and I see Jonah, he hears the Word of God, and he says, uh-uh, and I'm going this way. And he gets into the ship, and, and the ship's going to Tarshish. And, and, and I always ask, why? why? Why are you running away? What's wrong with Nineveh? Well, maybe he's afraid. Maybe because they're the terrorists, he believes God won't protect them. him. Maybe he believes that, uh, that they don't deserve it. Maybe Jonah's racist. Uh, maybe Jonah thinks God made a mistake. Have you been there? Me too. <laughs> and Jonah goes the opposite direction. Maybe he's worried for his life. They're going to kill me if I bring this hard message to these people. And so Jonah needs repentance. And now we see in verse number four that God is actively involved in bringing sinners to repentance. Look at verse number four. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Now, God is working on purpose to cause Jonah to turn around and do the right thing. Do you see it? Uh, This word sent uh, has the idea that it was prepared. Uh, Not only was it prepared by God, but it was sent like a baseball pitcher pitching his fastball. Uh, God directed this uh, prepared storm at Jonah on purpose to cause Jonah to straighten his path, to correct his path. Often times God sends storms in our life to direct our paths. He, Romans 3.11 quotes Psalm 53, and it says that there is none that seeketh after God, but rather God is seeking after them. And God is actively involved in drawing sinners to repentance, to Himself. He sent Jesus, and now Jesus sends us. Amen? We get the, uh, the idea that this storm was no ordinary storm. This was a violent, destructive storm. If something doesn't change, people are going to die. The ship is going to be destroyed. Look at verse number 5. Then the mariners were afraid... And cried every man unto his God. Notice that's a small g, God. 
That's the generic word for God, any deity. They cried unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. Now I see these mariners. They're the sailors. These guys, they know storms. This is their job. They're like the truck drivers of the, of the seas, right? They, they know the past. They know uh, how to navigate through rough winds and rough seas. And, and they've done this. Uh, this is their livelihood. This is what they get paid to do. Go from point A to point B and back to point A again. And, and they've seen storms before. But when, when this storm came, this was an unusual storm. It made them afraid. And what is the first thing they do? They go to their deity. They go to their small G God and they begin to pray. Oh God of the sea. Oh God of the wind and God of the storm. Save us. Uh, we repent. We will do anything it takes to save us from this destruction. And when that didn't work, you see them trying to save themselves. They're throwing the wares, it says, off the ship. They're trying to lighten the ship so it'll ride higher on the waves to avoid destruction. And, and, and mankind has done this uh, all throughout history. They've tried to save themselves. And, and, and these guys, these tough mariners, they know there's a problem. They know that God is mad at them. But the problem is they don't know which God. They don't know who it is that has sent this storm. They're doing their best to appease the God of the sea. And they cry out and they offer their prayers and their offerings. But none of that works. It's never going to work. What the sailors need, they need to know Jehovah God. They need to turn to Him. Look at verse number 6. So the shipmaster, that's the captain, he came to him, to Jonah, and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. That's a capital G God, but still, it's a generic word for God. The, the captain doesn't know who Jonah's God is. Call upon thy God, if so be, that God will think upon us that we perish not. The captain now, he understands that, that there's a big problem and he understands that all hope is lost. Notice the captain is now under deck, below deck. Captains are supposed to be above deck, directing the crew and, and, and directing the ship and try to do whatever he can to make uh, the, the, the way safe. But he understands that all hope is lost. There's nothing left to do on top deck. And so he's down with the others and he finds Jonah. Jonah, what are you doing? He's sleeping. Jonah has all of the answers. Jonah knows Jehovah God. Jonah knows how to fix this problem, but he's sleeping. And the shipmaster who has done everything he can, he wakes Jonah up. He says, wake up. Do something. We're all going to die. You better pray to your God because unless... He does something, we're going to perish. It's like today when the world tells us, you got to do something. COVID's going to kill us all. Wear a face mask, get vaccinated, stay home, do something. You see it? They're desperately trying to save themselves. 
they just don't know. It, the, they're approaching the wrong God. The God of science is not going to save. The God of medicine is not going to save us from COVID. It's a storm that God has sent, Jehovah, to wake us up, to draw us back to God. Now, the crew get involved and they, they decide they're going to try and figure out who uh, is, is the cause for this problem. And so the crew begin a search for truth. Look at verse number 7. And they said everyone to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. Do you see the crew? <laughs> when you're playing the movie, they're, they're, they're about, I mean, they're seasick and they're, the ship's being tossed around. It's falling apart. There's water uh, below deck. And they, they say, we got to do something. We got to figure out whose fault this is. And so they, they cast lots. Maybe they're drawing straws or maybe they're flipping a two sided coin or something. And, and, and is, it, is it Bob's fault? No, it's not Bob. Is it Susie? No. Is it Jonah? Yeah, it's Jonah. He's the one. He's the one to blame. Now, look at the 20 questions in verse 8. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? And what is thy country? And of what people art thou? They got a lot of questions for Jonah. Jonah, what's going on? They want to know, how can we fix this problem and save our lives? Nothing we do is working. The same thing's happening today. The whole world wants to know, how can we save our lives? They do. Black Lives Matter, global warming, COVID. Don't you see that these are storms that God has caused to wake people up, to seek for truth, to call sinners to repentance. They're investigating, they're searching, they're looking for truth, and they're trying to appease a God, that, but they don't know which God. But Jonah, with all the answers, was silent. Did you notice he hasn't said one word so far in this whole book? He's been silent, sleeping. He's the guy who could change their destiny changed their future from death to life with the information he has. But he's been silent. Finally, Jonah speaks. Look at verse number 9. And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. This is Lord, all capital letters. Did you notice? That's, that's secret code for Jehovah. The King James people did that for us so we would know. I fear Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of heaven. There is no God higher than the God of heaven. I'm saying these people would understand this. Jonah is saying, I serve Jehovah, who is the God of all gods. In fact, he's the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Now, the mariners, the, the ship, they're, they're on the sea. And it's a terrible storm, and they're going to die on the sea, and so they're trying hard to get to dry land. And they realize that this is a problem caused by a God, and Jonah, who's your God, and, and what's going on? And Jonah says, I serve Jehovah, the God of all gods, the one who created the sea and the dry land. Now, and then he says... But I'm mad at him. 
and I'm running away. What? <laughs> what? I'm mad at him. I'm running away from God. I don't like what he said. I don't like what he wants me to do. I don't think it's fair. What? Can you imagine these sailors' response? You have doomed us all. We're going to die because of you. Look at verse number 10. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, What hast thou, or why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them, Jonah, if you're going to run away from God, the creator of the sea, don't get in a boat. Amen? I'm just saying. You have doomed us all, they say. We're going to die. Now, Jonah, what should we do? Look at verse 11. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. Uh, me, me I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a problem solver. When I, I see a problem, I try to fix the problem. And, you know, there's not enough money to pay the bills. So I start looking around. What can I sell? And, you know, maybe I can sell my kids into slavery or, you know, get rid of the second car or whatever. But, uh, so I'm a problem solver. So I understand what they're, what they're saying here. They're, Jonah, what, how can we fix this problem? Uh, we understand you're running away from the God who has caused this storm. And what do we do now? Well... What's the correct answer? Hmm? Repent. Jonah, what should we do? Well, we're going to Tarshish. This is what we should do. Right? Go back. Take me back. And I will obey God. And everything will be right with you. That's the right answer. Stop doing the wrong and start doing the right. That's simple, right? That's the right answer that Jonah should have told them. But instead, he continues in his rebellion. Instead of agreeing with God, he continues to tighten his fist. Luke 13, 3 tells us, But except you repent, you shall all, uh, you shall all in like manner perish. Matthew 18, 3, and Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What's the answer for the world's problem of sin? Rebellion against God. What's the answer? Turn to God. Go to God. Repent. But Jonah, instead of giving the right answer, he responds with more rebellion. Look at verse 12. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Jonah says, just kill me. I'd rather die. <laughs> Can you imagine? Just kill me. Now I hope, the reason I'm giving you this message is because I know the Holy Spirit is working this week. And I know He's knocking on some hearts and he's saying, I want you to surrender and I want you to do my will, my ministry. And that might be missions, that might be Sunday school teacher, that might be pastor, whatever it might be. But he's knocking and he's calling and he wants you to surrender. And some of us, I fear, will respond like Jonah. No way. Just kill me. 
I'd rather die than go to Africa. Let me tell you a testimony about my wife. My wife is a, a good, godly woman. And when she was a little girl, she was at a place where they were preaching and about surrendering your life. And she came forward and she knelt at, an, at the altar and she said, God, uh, I, I, I want to do what you want me to do. I, I surrender my life. I'll do anything you want me to do. But please don't make me go to Africa. She said that. A few years later, she was junior high, high school, and preacher preached again, and she felt the, the need to let God know that she was serious. God, I, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Uh, I'll be a pastor's wife. I'll, I'll serve as a Christian school teacher, whatever. God, I surrender my life. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. But please don't make me go to Africa. It's a true story. I wish she was here to tell you. I came home one day, and I said, baby, pack your bags. Go to Africa. And she's like, no. <laughs> I'd rather die. <laughs> she's been there for 15 years. Some of you think that God creates special people who can deal with cockroaches and centipedes and bugs and dirt and germs, and those are the people God sends. No. No, that's not my wife. But God has given her grace to do what he wants her to do. And he'll give it to you too. Amen? Jonah says, just throw me overboard. Verse 13, nevertheless, even the, even the mariners know this is the wrong answer. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not. They're fighting against God's will. They could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Even the pagans know Joan is wrong. Maybe we need to wear face masks. Huh? Maybe we need to tear down statutes of Confederate soldiers. Maybe we need to force people to buy electric cars. There's got to be an answer to these problems we're facing today, right? No, those aren't the right answers. That's the wrong God. Mother Nature is not the one we've offended. We've got to turn to Jehovah God. They're working against God's will. They're trying hard to save themselves and now save Jonah. Finally, we see repentance in the boat. Verse 14. Wherefore they cried. Who's crying here? It's the mariners. It's the sailors. Wherefore they cried unto whom? Jehovah. Do you see that? Earlier, just a few verses earlier, they were crying out to their false gods. The God of the sea, the God of the wind. But now they're crying, they're praying to Jehovah and said, we beseech thee, O Jehovah, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood for thou, O Jehovah, has done as it has pleased thee. Now they've turned to God. They've repented from their false gods and they've turned to Jehovah. Look at verse 15. So they took up Jonah. Again, we're in the movie, right? It's in my head. I'm sorry, but I've got to take a commercial break to give you this. Do you, do you see Jonah? Just throw me overboard. I'd rather die. I'm not going to obey God. And, 
And the mariners, you know mariners, I mean, they got tattoos of an anchor, right? And they're strong guys. And they come up and they say, one mariner grabs this, this arm, another guy grabs this arm, and two more over here each grab a leg and a leg, right? And they're saying, Jonah, are you sure? This is the only answer? Are you sure? This is what you want to do? All right, here we go. <laughs> one. <laughs> We're going to throw you over, Jonah, unless, unless there's another way. Two, right? You see it? Two and a half. Are you sure, Jonah? Are you sure you don't want to just repent and obey? Two and three quarters. Three. And verse 15. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. There was peace. As soon as the mariners obeyed God, turned to God, did God's will, there was peace. Isn't the whole world looking for peace right now? Then the men, verse 16, then the men feared Jehovah exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord Jehovah. And made vows. They feared him. That's the idea that they are going to obey him. They sacrificed to him. That's worship, isn't it? And they made vows. That's devotion. Jehovah, you are my God. I'm going to obey and worship you. These men are a perfect Example of what true Christianity is. Obedience to God's word. Repentance, fear, reverence, respect and obedience to God's word. Sacrifice and a devotion to live for God. I'm amazed at the amount of Christians who live in rebellion like Jonah. Even at a Christian school. Maybe it's because they're not truly saved. I don't know. Maybe they've changed, exchanged their God for the God of self. I'm also amazed every time I see a sinner turn and repent and receive God to be their Lord and Savior. They're looking for truth and God is drawing them to himself. Now, let's apply this message to our lives. What, does, what, do, what do we need to do? We need to consider the will of God, and how we're going to respond to it. I've told you several times, God has a plan for every one of you here. How are you going to respond? Are you going to run away like, Jeho- like Jonah? Are you going to tighten your fist and shake it in the face of God and say, this is my life, I'll do what I want to do, and run away from the presence of God? How are you going to respond to God's will? What does God want you to do? that you don't want to do. I love that. Also, the love of God. How are we going to share it with other people? We've got all the answers. We heard it this morning already. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We know that answer. We know that truth. What are we going to do with that truth? Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the word of God.
Thank you, Lord, for sometimes the negative example that we see in Jonah. Lord, I pray that you would call us, first of all, to repentance. And Lord, help us to be obedient to your call, to your will. Lead us in your ways. Help us to reach other people with your love and with your message of the gospel. And Lord, I pray for those here this, this morning who you are seeking out to be your full-time ministers. Lord, I pray that they would be obedient and that they would surrender their life to do the most important thing in the world, serve God. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you loved us first. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This piano plays. Let's stand together. And if God's speaking to your heart this morning, aren't you come? Don't run the other direction from God. The world ought not to be wiser about God's will than we are. Lord, we thank you that your message of truth is for all the world. Regardless of how we think of some of that world, you love the world. And Lord, you've asked us to go and give them the message. Lord, may we not respond to your work in our lives this week like Jonah. 
as you came to him this first time to speak to him, I pray that we'd be anxious, we'd be willing, we'd be ready to go and give the truth to those that you love and care for and want to save. Thank you for these challenges this morning and these missionaries that represent what all of us need to be. And so use these words in our hearts. Seal these decisions, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's be seated a moment. I want Brother Case to come. And Ryan and Sarah Case graduated here from West Coast a number of years ago now and have been in Mexico. And they have a video presentation that I want him just to kind of introduce to us this morning, give a word of greeting. We're glad to have their daughters here in the college. Twins, right? No. They're not twins. They are nine months apart. Our, yeah. You think? Are you sure? 11 months. <laughs> Good. Well, they look a little bit alike. Yeah, they're almost twins. They don't act alike. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> well, Ryan, it's good to have you back. And just give us a greeting and then introduce your video for us. Amen. Well, I'm excited to be here. I praise the Lord for what God has done in our ministry in Mexico City. We're serving the largest city in the world, about 30 million people there. And I just pray the, praise the Lord for that message. Thank you so much. And if you'll pray for us, we're the Case family. That's Case, like the tractor or the knife if you're in Texas. And so I just praise the Lord for um, really uh, the burden that God gave me in this place in 1999 at a missions conference. And I was sitting where you're sitting, and uh, God used the preaching of his word. And, and just as I prayed about what God would do in our lives, I asked the Lord, uh, you know, 22 years ago, uh, God, where would you have me go? Where would you have me serve? And a brother... Uh, as I was praying that, a brother from Mexico got up and he talked about the need for Mexico in that missions conference. And I said, God, if you want me to go to Mexico, I'll go. And uh, I prayed again. I said, show me tonight in the devotions. And another missionary got up and he talked about his burden for Mexico. And, and I said, obviously, Lord, you're doing something. So that next day as I had my devotions, I asked God, God, seal your, your calling. I believe you're calling me to Mexico. I said, just seal that calling in my heart. And and with your word as I did my devotions. And God gave me 1 Samuel 17, verse 29. And it says, and, and David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And God gave me a vision that day. He gave me a journey he set me on. And that day he sent me on a journey to go against that Goliath, Mexico City. And I'd be like little David going against this Goliath. And, and if anybody would ask me, why do you go? And I would say, what, what have I now done? done? Is there not a cause? Nobody wants to go there. Nobody wants to fight this giant. And so when you see this video, I want you to understand that that day God called me to start a church in Mexico City. And today you'll see the completion of, that vid video, of this vision and this calling that God gave me 22 years ago in this place. And you'll see the completion of it and now the next step of our journey. Welcome to our home, Mexico City one of the most populous cities in the world. Many of the people here are deeply religious, and local traditions are important to them. Big city crime is an issue everyone faces. Mexico City's greatest need is Christ and his gospel. The people of Mexico City desperately need gospel-preaching churches planted near them reaching out to them where they live with the good news of salvation. We are the Case family, and we have answered the call of God to Mexico City. 
I am Ryan. This is my wife, Sarah. Our daughters, Ruth, Rebecca, Elizabeth, and our son, David. We have served God in Mexico since 2005. I was saved at Lighthouse Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California, which is our sending church, under the preaching of Pastor Jerry Scheidbach. My wife and I are graduates of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. And we work in partnership with Baptist International Missions Incorporated to reach the lost in Mexico. In 2005, we started our ministry in Mexico, working with missionary Bob Walker in Tijuana, where we learned Spanish and studied Mexican culture. While we were there, my father applied for and received his Mexican citizenship. In 2010, we teamed up with missionary Ismael Jaimes, and together we started the First Baptist Church of Tizayuca in Hidalgo, Mexico. When the church was established, we began to look for a place inside Mexico City to begin a new church plant. In 2014, together with a group of believers, we chartered God's Word Baptist Church in Xochimilco. Brother David Jimenez, who was reached and discipled in Tizayuca, joined us in the ministry there. The church ordained him in 2015. Together, we are training other young believers in our Bible Institute. God blessed the church even further when missionary Esteban Marquez came to work with us. The church voted to receive Brother David as senior pastor in 2021. The church members are excited to follow his vision and support his leadership. This is our plan upon returning to Mexico to continue to help strengthen and grow God's Word Baptist Church. To build and expand the Bible Institute to train future Christian laborers. To partner with missionary Esteban Marquez to plant another needed church in this great city. To continue teaming up with nationals and missionaries planting churches in Mexico. And finally, Please pray for us. Pray that we will be able to raise our support level to 100%, which fell due to the lockdowns across the United States. Pray for our daughters as they transition from living all their lives on the mission field to living and working in the U.S. Pray for us as we continue to serve God, sharing Christ with the Mexican people. case for that presentation this morning. Well, the case, what's the uh, present population in Mexico City? Thirty million in the surrounding areas. So a needy city, largest city in the world and such a great need for the gospel. You could probably start hundreds of churches there, never really reach everybody uh, with the good news. And so perhaps God would call you to that great city and uh, reach people for Jesus Christ. Well, I want Brother Levesque to come and uh, close our chapel this morning. Brother Levesque, where are you? Right there. And Brother Levesque is going to Detroit. 
Michigan, a great city as well in our United States. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. Give your testimony for us and uh, appreciate that. Thanks, sir. Thank you. Well, my name is Josh Levesque. We are church planning missionaries in Dearborn, Michigan, just on the west side of Detroit. And we've, we've heard so, many, so much wonderful preaching today, so many wonderful testimonies. I just want to add a little bit of the testimony of my calling and what we found there in the city of Dearborn. I'm always amazed when I hear missionary presentations on how similar the calling process was in my life as it was for each of these men. Uh, step by step, um, I was saved at a young age. My father was a church planter. I was saved at age seven, surrendered to ministry at age 12. Always knew I wanted to serve God, wanted to be in ministry. It wasn't until halfway through my time in college as a computer science major uh, that I finally surrendered to preach, finally surrendered to ministry. And, and not knowing where I was going to go with that, I had opportunity to serve at my home church. I was there that I enrolled in the online master's program at West Coast to train and prepare for whatever was next, not knowing what it was. It was about two years ago in a prayer meeting in a revival conference. We were praying for the state of Michigan that a number of godly men, pastors, began to pray for the city of Dearborn. And they prayed specifically that God would send someone to Dearborn and that a church would be planted there and that we would see uh, a gospel-preaching church in that city. And I, I, it, it struck me there, and I felt the hand of the Lord on me like I had felt it when he had called me to preach. And it's a unique feeling. It's a, it's a, a wonderful experience. And I, I determined I would just look. I would go and I would see it for myself. What is the need there? And what we discovered in Dearborn really blew, blew my mind, broke my heart. And that was when uh, we really surrendered to the calling right there. Because in Dearborn, we discovered a city uh, of over 100,000 people. It, is, it has become a headquarters and a stronghold for Islam in North America. Uh, of the 110,000 people, over 50% are Arab Americans. It's the highest concentration of Arab people anywhere in the world outside of the Middle East. And it has been a hub of immigration uh, for people coming from the Middle East and all over from the Muslim world. And, and, and the result of that, Dearborn has become a place where there are at least 15 mosques across the city and not one independent Baptist church. And seeing that just so visually struck and stuck in my mind, not only has a uh, mosque been coming in quickly, but um, as quickly as the mosque has come in and, and Islam has grown, the gospel-preaching churches have left or closed their doors. Over the last 20 years, at least a dozen gospel-preaching churches have left the city of Dearborn, uh, all the way down to the point where there are just a small handful of any kind of a gospel witness there in the city at all. And so we surrendered to go there, and we moved there in July, and praise God we were able to distribute John and Romans to 45,000 homes this summer, and we launched our church in September, uh, and we have been meeting now for 12 weeks in the city of Dearborn and been running about 50 people there uh, in our church. So please pray for us, pray for the city of Dearborn, and uh, I encourage you, uh, start looking out into the harvest, asking the Lord where. Uh, we, we, we heard a wonderful message on surrender. I hope you have surrendered to the what, which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know what you are supposed to do. The next question you ask is where, when, how, and start asking those questions now, uh, because missions, conferences, and in Bible college is a wonderful time. You're going to hear the presentations of so many needy places. There's not a bad place to go preach the gospel. There's, there's needs all over the entire world. But the Lord will use one of these presentations. The Lord will meet, use a person that you meet, a place that you go, to specifically grip your heart and grip your mind and say, there, that's the place. That, that's it. And, and I can only describe it to you. It's so clear in my mind that the Lord has called us to go to Dearborn, Michigan. I hope you experience that same level of calling. The Lord gives you a place, a mission, a purpose, a great task to accomplish for him. Ask the Lord for that. And then Christ said to, to get your eyes and look onto the harvest. Uh, the needs are out there, but you've got to look for them. Ask the Lord to show you that this week. Ask the Lord to show you that while you're a student here, that he would give you that vision for a place where there's a great need for the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this place. Thank you for all these students that are here. Surrender to your will, Lord, looking 
and asking, Lord, I'm sure for a place and opportunity to serve you, Lord. I pray that you would show many, Lord, the places that you would have them to go. And I pray, Lord, that you as the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the harvest. I pray for Mexico City, Lord. I pray for uh, all these wonderful uh, missionaries who are, who are going all around the world. I pray that you provide for their needs. I pray that you protect them. I pray that they would see great revivals, that we would see a great harvest of souls as the results of this missions conference. And then for each of these students, Lord, I pray that they would find their place of service for you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.